is awesome. Um, first things, uh, when you're done, when we're done passing the baskets, I'm actually going to ask if everybody could stand. And don't worry, I'm not making you do any sort of like crazy, like church activity that people are already like afraid of. I just need you to stand. <coughs> uh, so we've been in a series on the scriptures, and the first week we talked about what is the Bible, and the second week we talked about can we trust the Bible. Today we're going to talk about how we approach the Bible, and the interesting thing about this series is that, like, as, as you guys have probably found, we're not digging into a particular passage. We're actually just, we're talking about this thing full of all the passages that we read, and so I'm not going to be going through a particular passage today, but something I really believe in, that when we come here, that a few things need to happen, and so one of those is that we engage in the presence of God together. And the other is that we engage in the lives of each other. And the third thing is that we hear the scriptures because it feeds our soul. And so I just wanted to start out and open up and just read this passage for us so that no matter what else I say, you got fed today. <laughs> this is the good stuff. Um, everything else is just take it or leave it. Um, but I just, I just wanted to start and I wanted to read this. This is Isaiah 55. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Jesus, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that it feeds our soul. Thank you that it opens up our hearts. Thank you that it opens up our eyes. Um, and I pray that whatever piece of that needs to settle in us and feed us this morning, would you let it settle inside of us? And would you be with us this morning, God, as we navigate and we talk about um, engaging your scriptures and what that means for our lives? Um, would you lead this conversation, this the agenda is yours, Jesus, and so we just give this morning to you. Uh, and everyone said, amen. amen. You can have a seat. 
So I'm so grateful that I, that I get to be with you this morning and I'm, I'm grateful that I get to share on this particular portion of this series. And I don't know about you, but there's certain things, there's a lot of things in our lives that we don't know. Like I'm never gonna be a good golfer, much to my dad's demise. I don't know anything about golf. I haven't spent much time doing it. I don't understand it. It's just not my thing. But you get me on the volleyball court and that's another thing. We can talk about it. Um, but f- the same is true about walking with Jesus. No one's an expert in everything. And I don't pretend to be an expert in this. But, uh, so like healing, if you were gonna ask me about physical healing, I'd probably point you to a friend or two of mine. That's not something, I believe that God heals. I've seen God do amazing things, but that's not something I feel like has made its way and embedded its way into my story. But engaging the scriptures and it transforming my life and it rescuing me and it being what I hold on to in the best and worst seasons of my life, I have some, I've left some skin on the court in that part of walking with Jesus. And so all my heart is for this morning is that whatever I have is what I give to you for whatever it's worth. I love this book. This book is everything to me. This book has saved my life time and time again. Um, I live it, I live in it. I've spent too many years studying it. (laughs) Graduation's in May. I, I have yelled at it. I have thrown it across a room. Don't worry, it's okay, it's just a book. I love Jesus. But I have, and it has yelled back at me, and I have like hung on to it, and it has hung on to me. You know what I'm saying? Like this is John, John's message last week. There's something about the scriptures, they're trustworthy because somehow humanity has held on to them for all this time and yet it begs the question, somehow this book has held on to humanity for thousands of years. I love this book and so I'm really, really excited to talk about how do we how do we approach it? How do we, how do we handle it? What do, what do we bring to it when we open it up? Uh, but first, I wanted to just share a, a story. I, I lived in Hawaii when I was 19. I had walked away from playing collegiate volleyball, walked away from a scholarship in security and knowing that school was gonna be a bit paid for and I had a plan and I was gonna do the four-year thing and play volleyball. I'd given my whole life to volleyball and Jesus, but a lot of it to volleyball. Um, that, was, that was my dream. And I found myself at 19 really restless, really asking. I had a lot of questions about God. I'd been a Christian for just a few years, but uh, I was the first person in my family and the first person in my friends to start walking with Jesus. I didn't really have anybody pouring into me and helping me wrestle through hard things um, and answer some questions about my faith. And so I decided to walk away from school and volleyball and my scholarship. And I 
got plugged into a missions program. I took six months and uh, I did a mission school where the first three months is lecture phase and then the second three months is you go anywhere in the world um, and bring the gospel. And so I had walked away from everything because I believed that this was go what God was leading in my life. And it was the day before we had to have all of our funds in for our outreach trips, our different outreach trips. And I was $1,500 short. And I mean, I'm a 19 year old kid. I, I, don't, have, I don't have $1,500. <laughs> uh, my family didn't have $1,500. And yet I had walked away from everything and I'm right there and I'm just wondering, is like the bottom gonna fall out of this whole thing? I'm like, Jesus, I gave up everything. You have to help me. <laughs> And so in our, in our class, we decided, you know, it's really easy when you're aware of your need to become really worried and really self-focused. And so we decided to do what a term we coined is to respond in the opposite spirit. And so what we did was instead of being just totally consumed with our need, we decided to start asking Jesus, Jesus, is there anything that I can give? Is there anything that I have, whether it be money, is it more important that maybe I don't go on outreach and this person goes? Is it more important maybe if I give my funds to them? Is it more important if maybe I give my new like Tevas to this person who's going to Africa because they need a good pair of sandals? You know, we, to ask Jesus, is there anything I have that I can give? And uh, so I'm standing there and I'm just like feeling the weight of this $1,500. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, Jesus, what can I give? And so we, we enter into kind of a time of worship and just immediately, I just hear God speak to me. I can probably count on one hand the times that he's spoken to me this clearly. And he said this, he said, hey, I want you to give your guitar to Braxton. <laughs> to which I responded, I love you so much. La, 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 la. <laughs> so then I stood, but I just knew, but I just ignored. And I uh, stood there and was like, I'm going to do a really Christian thing right now. Like, watch, get ready. I'm going to go downstairs, because right, there's like two sets of stairs. There's the ATM at the bottom of the stairs. You know what, Lord? I'm just going to believe in faith that you're going to provide I'm gonna pull out my literal last $20 I have and I'm gonna give it to somebody. I'm gonna be so generous right now, <laughs> like watch. And so I go down and I go to the ATM and I stick my card in and the ATM is empty. <laughs> to which I responded, <gasps> you were serious. So I'm like having this like moment like, oh no. And my jaw is still like hanging on the ground and I like walk up the steps and it's just like hitting every single step on the way up. And I walk into the classroom and I grab my guitar case. I'm like having an out of body experience right now. And I walk down the hallway and I walk into Braxton's room and I set the guitar down and I walk away and I, right when I hit the door, just bam, just, I fall apart. And I'm almost caught off guard by why I'm so upset. I can play the guitar, but not 
well. I mean, Braxton is like fantastic. This made sense to me. This was like Megan learning how to play the guitar on like Google Chords <laughs> six or seven years ago. Like, it made sense. I was like, I'm not even that good at guitar. Like, why am I so upset? And I'm like sobbing. And I still need $1,500, and this sucks. <laughs> like, this is becoming like one of the worst days ever. And so I just like sit in the back of the room, and I'm watching people, watching the room kind of shift, and I start hearing things like, oh man, like, I went to my room to grab a pair of sandals because I felt like this person really needed them. And on my way there, someone from another school stopped me and handed me $50. It was the last $50 I needed for my trip. Or like, I had a huge need, and, and my friend just called me and told me that their church is going to be willing to give me my last $500 so I can go on my trip. And I'm watching this all happen. I'm watching God move. And I'm sobbing in the corner, <laughs> wondering what is happening. And I still need $1,500, in case you didn't remember. And I just heard God speak to me. And he just said, Megan, your circumstances are telling you that you need $1,500 or this was all a waste. Like everything that you gave up, everything that you thought you heard, all of it, it was all for nothing. Otherwise, it's all going to fall through. You, your circumstances are telling you that what you need is $1,500. But I know that what you really need you just wish your relationship with your dad was different. It was like I was known for a minute. Because walking away, volleyball was where I lived with my dad. That was like what we shared. That was when I got time with him. That was when I got, I'm proud of you and I'm excited about, that's what, that was his involvement in my life. And he was so involved. So, so, I was so blessed. That was where I lived with my dad, and, and I was walking away from everything that he had sacrificed for, and that I had worked for, and it's part of my life, and it was gone, and just before I left, the other thing that my dad and I have in common is we love music, and I said, Dad, I think I want to maybe pick up the guitar, and he was so excited. He went out, and he bought me a guitar, and he just said, please don't give this away. <laughs> I have a problem. That's another story. <laughs> but he did. He said, I, really, I bought this for you because I want you to have it. Please don't give it away. And I was sitting in the back of the room with my heart in a million pieces because I felt like my dad was going to feel like he wasn't important to me. I felt like he was going to feel like I care more about what I'm doing than I care about what he, my relationship with him what he wants to give me. And my heart was just broken. And God taught me something so profound about who he is in that moment that I really like to keep Jesus on the periphery of my life. I really like to keep Jesus in all of my plans. And he's really far more interested in where my heart is actually at. The money came in. But you know what I'm more grateful for? All of the things that that put into motion in the way I pursued relationship with my dad. 
It changed my life. I will take that any day over any trip I went on. But I open with this story because we have to think about how we relate to God directly impacts the way we understand this book. And not just understand it, but the way we approach this book. What you believe about who God is, what you believe about how he wants to relate to you, you carry all of that right here when you sit down to open it up. And there are things that we think about who God is, about relationship with him, that can create difficulty and burden and strife when it comes to approaching this. So today, I wanna share four thoughts. They could go in any order. I'm just telling you that like, <laughs> it's been an interesting morning. Jesus is moving. Um, but I have four thoughts that I wanna share this morning primarily about the way that we relate to God. Because I believe that these four things directly impact how we approach this book, for better or for worse. So the first thing I wanna talk about is the difference between maintenance living and transformational living. What am I talking about? Okay, so I won't make you raise your hand because this is always just like a, oh, this is too real. But you know when you like start going to the gym again? Or you like start running again? Or like you start like, I think I'm gonna get healthy and fit. You know that like, you're like, oh yeah, I've been there. Quiver in the belly. Um, you know, and we start doing it and we're like, yeah, like I'm gonna get up at 5 a.m four days a week, because five is just a little intense, but I'm gonna do four, I'm gonna eat this, I'm gonna drink only water, it's gonna be awesome, and we do it for like four days, and then all of a sudden, it's like, why is this the, the thing I was most inspired by has now become the worst part of my life? I wake up and I'm like, ugh, and I hit my alarm, and I'm like, I hate this, and I don't wanna do this, and this just makes me feel worse about my life and myself, and why am I so unhappy, and I need to just stop thinking about this, because it's just making my life worse and not better. So I'm just fine with my life as it is. I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> this is maintenance living. I'm just gonna do these things to get by, to maintain, because I, someone told me they're good for me and I wanna feel good, that I did enough good things and not enough bad things by the end of the day. And this is the way we live our life. We do this in our relationship with Jesus. I just need to maintain. I'm gonna like read my Bible plan every day and do this and all these good things. I'm not gonna use that word. I'm gonna be patient in my car in traffic. It's gonna be, if I do enough of those things, I can go to bed and then guess what? I get to get up tomorrow and do the list all over again. It's really life-giving. <laughs> it's not, it's not, we all know it's not. Can I tell you that you were created by a creator, a creative God, that you bear his image and that you are hardwired not for maintenance, but for transformational living. 
you were created to create and become more. The infinite God of the universe dreamt you up. You were made to be transformed by him. You were not made to live under a burden of boring maintenance living. This is what I love about fitness, actually. This is what I love... This is what I love about the Olympics. We watch the human body that isn't just like, I'm gonna go to the gym so I can button my pants tomorrow. We watch the human body say, I'm gonna do something that nobody has ever done. And it's gonna be the most exhilarating, amazing thing of my life and everybody around me is going to be inspired. This is what we were made for. Poor Lauren Thornycroft. We, I know, she's like my left arm and one of my best friends, and God bless her. She comes to the gym with me like two weeks ago. It's like 5.30 in the morning because we have this thing we have to go to in Ventura, and she just is like, why are we here? And I'm just like, we're changing our lives <laughs> right now. We're like doing donkey kicks, and I'm like looking at her, and I'm like, we're changing our lives. <laughs> She's like, I hate you, but it's real. Because you know what, even if I did like barely anything, I still didn't do, I didn't do nothing. I wanna live a life that I'm excited to live. I wanna be transformed, I wanna do more. I don't wanna just maintain my limited idea of what's good enough. I don't, I don't want to walk with a God who that's all that he has for me. We have to understand ourselves as made for transformational living and not just maintenance living. We have to approach the text that way. I don't read my Bible because I have a checklist every day. I read my Bible because I open it up and I believe that the presence of God is going to meet me and I'm actually going to be transformed when I engage it. Transformational living, that's the first thought. The second is this. We need to start thinking about relationship with God less as a science and more as a relationship. Less as a science and more as a relationship. What do I mean? I mean, we really like it when God is a dead frog on a dissection table that's not going to move, it's not going to do anything crazy, and we just slice him open, and we can say, okay, this, and this, and this, and this. Okay, now I know everything. Awesome. It sounds ridiculous, but we love this God. We love this God that we can fully understand. We love this God that will never be any different than what I think he is right now. Because there's no surprises. He doesn't catch us off guard. He doesn't blow up our paradigm for anything. It's really comfortable and convenient when God is a dead frog. It's real. Can I tell you that when God is a dead frog, he might not surprise you, but he also can't help you. 
when we just limit him and just deem him lifeless, like, oh, he's just like blank words on a page. (laughs) He's just this limited five things that I've decided when I was a little kid. That's all he is. That's all he'll ever be, and I'm going to live my maintenance life, and it's awesome, you know? God's character doesn't change. I'm not saying (laughs) that God is unreliable, that he's a loose cannon, but I am saying that he is alive. His character doesn't change, but he is active and moving and immense and awesome. He's, He's gonna blow your mind. He longs for you to consider that maybe he's a person and not a process. Maybe he's a person and not a checklist staring you in the face. He's alive. That makes us uncomfortable, but that's okay. (laughs) It's okay to be uncomfortable. Because if he is who he says he is, he's got it under control. We don't have to be afraid. But we limit ourselves when we try to control him and limit him. We're made for transformational living and not maintenance living. Relationship with God is just that. It's a relationship. It's not a science or a formula. The third thought is there's a difference between earning and effort. There's a difference between earning and effort. What do I mean by that? Maintenance living. Walking with God is a science. It's really easy for us to step into the mode of earning. I did all of these things right. Therefore, I deserve all of these things. It's a formula, right? I'm doing a really good job. God must really love me because today I did a really good job. Or there's the opposite side, and some people in the room are like, I don't feel that way. You might feel this way. That sounds really legalistic to me. (laughs) Like, I don't, saved by faith alone, not works. Like, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to earn anything. Christ has won it all. That's true. (laughs) That's true. But what relationship do you know that exists apart from any sort of effort? You will never be able to earn more of God's love. You have all of it. That's really frustrating for a lot of people. (laughs) It's the frustrating parable of Jesus, right? That workers came out at different hours in the day and they all got paid the same. We hate it. (laughs) You can hate it, it's still real. He loves you. He loves you all the way. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. But... Relationships don't exist apart from effort. Hear this. God is not opposed 
God is opposed to earning. You cannot earn anything in the presence of God. You cannot earn his love, you cannot earn his favor, you cannot earn what you want, you cannot earn being deserving of him. God is opposed to earning, but he is not opposed to effort. And we struggle with this. Because we're fe- we feel like, ah, uh, like, either I'm gonna become really legalistic or like, I'm gonna start trying to earn my faith or relationships don't survive apart from effort. This book, we have to be willing to to have some effort in our lives. We have to be willing to dig. How many of you guys know that this is an ancient book? You open it and you're like, I don't have a clue what you said. Put that on your calendar, on your fridge. I don't know what that means at all. Um, It's hard to understand because it's ancient. But can I tell you, it's not impossible to understand. You will never be these people. John, John has been saying this throughout our series. The Bible wasn't written to us. It was written for us. But you know what that means? It was written to somebody. And it's really important to get in their head. It's really important to know what it would have meant to them. There are things that we just, we think we're like, oh, I know that word. Family. I know what a family is. But we just don't understand that there are so many layers of cultural differences and historical differences and years and years that have passed Can I tell you, you don't know what they think. You can learn, but they're not you in so many ways. We see a word like family. We think nuclear family, mom, dad, kids, maybe a dog. They think family, they're thinking cousins, they're thinking next of kin, they're thinking people that somebody told maybe was related somehow, they're thinking people who work in their field, they're thinking cattle, they're thinking slaves. Family means something, household means something very different. There is a cultural chasm between us. There's a historical chasm between us and the original reader. It's not impossible, but can I tell you, you're going to have to dig. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. There are tools and resources that can help you just get general ideas of what maybe was happening. The Bible Project videos that we watched that are fantastic. It's helping us enter into what was the context. It was written to them. And in figuring out what it meant to them, we get to glean, so what does that teach me about God? What does that teach me about myself? What does that teach me about the way God engages with humanity? Because that I can trust. I don't have to trust it. I don't get to make their story my own story. It's not my story, but that that God is my God. And if he was that way with them, maybe he'll be that way with me. We have to dig. We're willing to dig on sports stats. We're willing to dig on hobbies. But we come to the scriptures and we're like, if I can't read it, I don't want to. 
if it doesn't make sense to me, then it's just too hard. And like, I don't want to be a Bible scholar. I just want to love Jesus. I just want to be like, how do you know him? Do you know him because of podcasts you listen to? Do you know him because of a, a book you read that's not this book? So it's somebody else's faith? How do you know him? He's given us this to get to know him. We're going to have to dig. The second thing that we're going to have to be willing to do, a little effort in this relationship, is you have to be willing to wrestle. We hate this. We don't want to read the Bible and disagree. We don't want to read the Bible and have it say something we don't understand. We don't want to read the Bible and have it say something we wish it didn't say. You guys heard my story last time I was up here. I was reading the book of Jeremiah and I was having it out with God. Why did you say that? Wrestle. Wrestle. Relationships don't bail when things get hard. You don't get to quit because you don't like what it says. You don't get to quit because it's hard. You lean in and you wrestle. There's this awesome guy I was reading the other day. His name's Walter Wink. It's fantastic. And he said this. He said, I read the Bible and I yell at it for its violence and its sexism and its homophobia. And you know what it does? It yells back at me about my attachment to wealth and my neglect of the poor. We have to be willing to wrestle. We have to be willing to wrestle. We could learn a lot from Jacob in the Old Testament said that Jacob wrestled with God. Some translations say it was an angel of the Lord. Other translations say this word is so complex that we can't tell if it was actually an angel of the Lord or it was the Lord himself. And it says that Jacob wrestled with him all night long and he said, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. We have to do that with the text. I'm not going to let you go. I'm frustrated. I don't understand, but I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I believe that you are here. I believe that you are in this. Speak to me. Teach me. Change me. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And what does God do to Jacob? He just zink pops his hip out. (laughs) That sucks. (laughs) He gives him a limp. I mean, so, such a bummer, but like so appropriate, right? This like, he's permanently marked by this experience. And what kind of mark is it? It keeps him humble. It keeps him humble. It's not like Jacob didn't ever have another question or wrestling with God again in his life. But he hung on to God and it changed him forever. And it kept him in this posture of like, I'm going to wrestle. 
I might not have answers, but I'm gonna wrestle. This is who Jacob later, his name was changed to Israel. Israel was the name that God gave to the people that would carry his heart into the world. You know what Israel means? It means those who wrestle with God and prevail. It doesn't mean those who are perfect all the time. Those are God's people. It doesn't say those who have all the right answers. Those are God's people. He says, no, no, no. The name of my people is gonna be those who wrestle with me and prevail. I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me, even if I don't like it, even if it's hard. Because we don't get to quit in relationships when they get hard. We don't walk away because we don't understand. We don't walk away because we don't like it. No relationship survives that. Take some effort. The last, the last thing I want us to consider when it comes to how we approach the scriptures. So first is transformed living not maintenance living. Second is relationship with God is a relationship. It's not a science. The third thing is it's not about earning, but effort is a real part of this thing. And the last thing is God isn't interested in giving you a new lens. He's interested in giving you a new heart. What do I mean by that? I mean that a lot of us walk into this conversation today <laughs> and have our maintenance mentality on and have our science and all of our nice neat ducks and it's like okay I have my own lens of the way I've approached the scriptures for my whole life Meg and so now I'll trade out mine give me give me yours and then I'll snap that guy on just give me a new lens I'm not gonna do that for you I'm not because I love you and because I don't even believe relationship with God works like that. We have lenses, and this is like a little bit of a rabbit trail. We have lenses that we need to be aware of. You have a gender lens. I will never be able to read the scriptures and understand what it feels like to sit before the scriptures as a man. I have a cultural lens. I will never be able to sit before the scriptures and understand what it feels like to read them as an African. I have a shame lens. We all have a shame lens. What do I mean by that? I mean, we're deeply impacted by sin and brokenness in the world. And sin, yes, breaks relationship with God, but you know what the real tragedy of sin is? Is it sits this seed deep in our soul that we are convinced that God couldn't possibly love us. We spend our life fighting that. We have this voice in us that says, I know what you say about Jesus, but what feels more natural to me is for me to assume that God couldn't possibly love me. And so we approach the scriptures every time like we're in trouble. We read things like James where it says, don't doubt being tossed to and fro like the waves of the sea. And we feel that like a finger in our chest. Don't doubt. 
We're like, okay, yeah, I'm terrible, and I, okay, I need to be, be better, and I need to not doubt, and that's me, and I'm going to do all these things, and I'm going to be better. Shame lens. You know who James was? A lot of scholars believe James was the brother of Jesus. Not James the disciple, James the brother of John. James the brother of Jesus, the firstborn to Mary and Joseph. Do you know what it would have been like to be James? To grow up with Jesus? Do you know what it would have been like to have the watching society see that your older brother was a bastard child? Because your parents' marriage was controversial and how this baby came to be was controversial and there's a lot of shame attached to that. Do you know what it would have felt like to be James who was the firstborn who, who didn't have any of the rights of the firstborn because of Jesus? Do you know what it would have felt like to be James to go through your entire life and Jesus' ministry and not believe that Jesus was who he says he was, he, that they thought he, it says that he thought he was crazy? James didn't actually believe that Jesus was who he said he was until after the resurrection. And he had a moment, and he realized he was who he said he was. And James actually goes on to be the father of the church in Jerusalem, one of the pillars of the early church. This is James who spent his whole life doubting. And so when he's writing this, he's not saying don't doubt with a finger in your chest because you're not good enough. He's saying don't doubt because I spent my whole life doubting. I spent my whole life doubting. If anybody has a reason to doubt, it's me. And I'm telling you, it's not worth it. Just jump. Just trust. Please don't doubt. That is a long road. I've walked it. This is James. We have a shame lens. We miss all of that. (laughs) We don't dig a little bit. We miss all of that. We also have a lens called a bias of first mentions. And it's this psychological concept that we are all we all we all have it we can't escape it and what it is is it's this natural tendency in human beings to have a bias towards the first thing they were taught so what that means when it comes to this is that whatever somebody told you was their interpretation of this the first story you ever heard is the one that you have a fierce loyalty to even if that person was a crazy person Do you know that people used this to keep people in slavery for hundreds of years? We have to be aware that we carry biases to the text. Loyalties that we just have because we're human and that's just a part of how we work. We're just loyal to the first thing that we hear. It's not a bad thing and they're not always wrong, but sometimes they are. We have to be willing to at least lay that at the table and say, okay, this is something that I believe. I'm not going to read the text through it. I'm just going to let it sit right here, and I'm going to let this talk to me. And if this needs to be redefined, I'm going to let it be redefined. I'm going to let the text speak for itself. 
and allow it to define and redefine my ideas of God. Does that make sense? We have this piece of us. So we do have these lenses, right? And it's okay. They're not bad. It's just good to be aware of them. We can't, like, pull them off and throw them away. We just can't put them here. We have to put them here when we read the text. And we have to understand. I want you to know I'm not trying to give you another lens. I'm not asking you to trade your biases for mine. I'm saying I think we need to think totally differently about the whole thing. Be aware of your lenses, take them off of the text, set them at the table, and assume that God wants to meet us and transform us when we engage this book. Assume that he wants to show up, assume that he wants to speak, assume that he wants to make himself known and the things that need to be tweaked in the way that we think he's going to tweak them. Romans says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ezekiel says, I'm gonna take out your heart of stone and I'm gonna put in a heart of flesh. Engaging the scriptures is meant to be a transformative experience. Not a maintenance, not a science, not something that we earn. It's supposed to be the the playing ground where God puts a new heart inside of us and makes us different. There's a worship leader uh, that I love in North Carolina. I was listening to her. She runs like discipleship schools, two-week discipleship schools. And she was at the first day, first worship session of this discipleship school, this two-week school. And she got up and she said, you know, I had a dream last night. And in my dream, I was in the bathroom and I was putting my contacts in. And uh, whenever I would pull the contact out and I would put it towards my eye, it would get huge. And I couldn't get it in my eye. And so I'd pull it down and it would shrink and I'd put it back up and it would get huge and I'd pull it down and it would shrink and I'd put it, and I couldn't get it in my eye. And so I just got tired of it and I threw them away and so I went and I tried to open up another package of contact lenses and they were all dried up. And I woke up and she says, I asked the Lord, what was that about? And she said that he said to her, for this school, this two-week experience where people are pressing into me, I don't want to give them a new lens. I actually want to heal their eyes. God wants to change us. He doesn't just want to make us more right than other people. I'm going to invite Danny up as we kind of head to a close. We're going to have a little bit of response time. Um... I want us to think about what it means that God is alive. That he's not a dead frog. Totally understood and totally under control. I want us to think about what it means that I don't get to earn anything. I want us to think about what it means that my life isn't just about checking all the boxes and maintaining, but that God actually has intended 
a transformative life for me, a vibrant, full life. And you know what happens when we start to think about that? We start to have to face a lot of our fears and a lot of our controlled desires. Because control issues sounds harsh, but it's real. We have to face those things. If God is alive, that means he might be different than I thought. What if he's different than I thought? Can I tell you he's probably better than you thought? If I don't get to earn anything and I'm not checking off a list, then am I, am I valued at all? Can I tell you that he wants to weed that seed of shame out of you? And he will beat you over the head with this book of like, if you don't believe that I love you, get ready. <laughs> because I will, t I will debunk every single reason you think I don't love you in these pages. They won't stand. We love to feel like we have it all together, like all the stories we've ever read, all the verses that we've ever put on our refrigerator, all of the, we love to think we know what this says, and then the only thing we do with it is tell other people why they're wrong, or feel like we're right. Are you different though? Has it changed you? Has it forced you to confront the things in it that you don't like, but maybe you should? Or the things in your heart that need to be changed? Do we want to stay the same? Is this it? Who I am, how I feel about the world, all the limits, all the fears, all the boundaries, all the limits of possibility in God's love in my life? Is this, is this it? I want more. I want to know him more. I want every last drop of what he has for me. I want to be free of every last thing that binds me in shame and fear and inadequacy and addiction. I want to be free of every last thing. I don't want to keep any of it. I don't want to set my limit here if he says, I have all of this for you. <laughs> you can play it safe with your like little perspective of me or you can let go and let me be alive in your life. I promise I will keep you. I promise I will show you who I am. I promise I will change your life. It will not be easy, but it will be real. I don't want another talk, another Bible plan. And guys, I read my Bible. I love this. I live in this every day. But I, I desperately want God when I engage it. 
I desperately want him to change me. Jesus wants to be alive in our lives. He wants to meet us here. He is like so ready for our wrestling. He is so ready for the little amounts that we dig and the text comes alive. If this is boring, dig a little. If it's predictable, dig a little, wrestle a little. Get out of the comfortable places, go to the uncomfortable places. He loves you. He wants you to be free. He wants you to know him. And then he wants these just people with hearts that are so alive and so vibrant that their love and life just spills out everywhere they go. You don't have to defend your life and your faith when you look like Jesus. You don't have to defend this anymore if you embody it. So can we approach it in a way where we want to be made like him and not just be right? Can we let go of a little bit of control for the sake of knowing him so that we can make him known? I'm gonna pray. Um, We're gonna sing one last song. And this is what I will say. In this song, if you are somebody who says, Megan, I am afraid. I am afraid of letting go of certain things that I've thought about Christianity and God. I'm afraid of letting go and engaging the scriptures and considering maybe it means something that I didn't think it did before. I'm not trying to derail your thoughts about God. God is true. He is unchanging. I'm not saying that everything is a free-for-all. But I'm just saying if we could just loosen our grip a little bit to allow God some movement. If that is you and you are afraid, I'm gonna encourage you in this song, open up your hands, raise your hands, hold out your hands, open up your hands so that your body and your heart and your brain and your spirit can all connect and say, this is all I got. I need you here now. I want to know you. I want to approach the text this way. Make yourself known to me. This is still full of life and things that can change, change our reality for the rest of our lives. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna worship. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for every single person in this room, God, and I thank you for the ways that they know you and the ways that they have yet to know you. God, I pray that you would start to expose the limits that we've put on who you are and help us lay those things down. I pray that you would meet us in the fears that arise in that place. And more than anything, Jesus, we just confess that we are safe in your presence, God. That you are true and you will always be true and you are good and you will always be good and you are love and you are good and you are faithful and your intentions towards us are good. Take our fears, God. Help us move a step away from control and a step into faith, God. Help us step away from our science and our methodology and into relationship that's breathing and messy and wrestling, but it's real. 
Teach us about your love, God, in a way you never have before. Give us a hunger for your word because, not because it's right, even though it's right, and not because it's good, even though it's good, but because it's the place where we're transformed, God. We love you.